This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Little Passports, the award-winning subscription that inspires your child to learn about the world. Featuring a new country each month, packages arrive filled with souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more. Fans of Mom and Dad are Fighting can save 40% on their first month today with promo code MOMANDDAD40. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash momanddad. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 20th, the Disdain Gate edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry, six, Sam, three, and Wally, one. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who is nine, and Harper, who is seven. Hey, Dan, welcome back. Thanks. Anything happened while I was gone? <laughs> on today's show, Disdain Gate. I will grill Dan on a comment he made a few episodes back about having secret disdain for stay-at-home parents. We'll talk to a listener about her decision to stay home, and we'll be joined by Gretchen Livingston, a Pew researcher who has studied the demographics of who stays home and why. Plus, parenting triumphs and fails, recommendations, and listener emails. And for our special Slate Plus segment, Slate senior editor and conservative voice of reason, Rachel Laramore, will regale us with her own parenting triumph or fail. So if you haven't signed up for Slate Plus already... Now is the time. Now is also the time to please subscribe to Mom and Dad Are Fighting in iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and it's always a good time to keep spreading the word. Okay, on to triumphs and fails. Dan. Yes, I have a triumph this week. My triumph is very, very simple. It's so simple. It's just one thing I did that was difficult, but I pushed through and I accomplished it because I'm a good dad. I signed up for the TaylorSwift.com mailing list to get the pre-sale code to order tickets to the Taylor Swift concert in Nationals Park this July. So you do not agree with Stephen Metcalf, who... I do not. I certainly do not agree with Stephen Metcalf. He thinks Taylor Swift is like the worst thing to ever happen to his daughter. No, I mean, I like Taylor Swift okay. More importantly, my children love her and would die to go to that concert. And so I resigned myself to a lifetime of emails from TaylorSwift.com in order to get this pre-sale code to buy those tickets. Okay, uh, I have a fail. 
we went to a birthday party this weekend. A friend of Harry's from preschool, and um, so who he's like remained friends with as as they've gotten older. Um, had a birthday party, a sports birthday party, and Harry didn't know any of the kids. He only knew the, the little boy whose birthday it was, but everyone else was from that kid's school. They go to different schools now. So they all knew each other, and Harry knew no one. And I could see that this was making him a little tense. It was a drop-off play date, but he didn't want me to leave, which was the first sign, and so I stayed. And then I just saw him having trouble kind of you know, hanging out with the kids. And then they decided to play dodgeball and pick teams to play dodgeball. And I just hung back. I didn't, you know, get involved, but he wasn't picked and he was, I could see his little face and then they started playing and it was like just too much for him. And he came running over to me sobbing about not, you know, being left out and not knowing anyone and this isn't fun. And my fail is that I gave him three options. One was to get back in the game. Two was to hang out with me and watch and then have pizza and cake afterward or to just three was just to bolt and go run errands with me. And he chose three and I said, okay, and we left. Because that was what you really sincerely wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to leave because I don't really want to sit at this birthday party. But also I kind of, you know, hated seeing that. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like this big thing where like, oh, my God, my son doesn't have any friends. If he was there with his friends, he would have had fun. But I also think, you know, I should have probably encouraged him more to stick it out and he should be able to be in that kind of social situation and figure it out. Do you think that if you had not been there, he would have had as bad of a time? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I think he would have he would have like been upset for a while. Like he wouldn't have just he would I actually left for a second to get some snacks because they didn't have snacks and he was being like a pain in my tush and so I thought I'll get snacks for the whole party so that I can basically like shove potato chips in his mouth and maybe he'll have more fun and when I left he apparently cried Hmm. that's a hard situation I mean I agree that it feels faily because you had an unhappy kid but it's hard to say like what would have been the right thing to do in that situation I I mean I think I would have been inclined just to leave and on the grounds that he needs to suck it up. But that is also really sticking another parent with potentially your sad problem child for an entire birthday party. So, Oh, you would have been inclined just to leave yourself. Yes. Make and make them stay. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't even consider that option to be honest. But I mean, that may have, that could have ended up being a totally different kind of fail. Yeah. I just find in situations like that, that, that if we stick around, we make it worse. Yeah. That us being there gives them an outlet to complain to and someone to view as an authority who can, like, get them out of the situation they don't like. Whereas, in general, they tend to be pretty resilient if we're not there and they roll with it a little bit better. But every child is different. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Okay, better luck next time. Better luck next time. Uh, Okay, let's move on to listener email. A few weeks ago, Dan and I decided to do a Mommy Wars lightning round in which we quickly ran through the various hot-button parenting issues people tend to judge each other over and said, in about five words or less, where we stood on each. Co-sleeper crib, we both said crib, regimented nap schedule or who cares, I'm regimented, Dan is loosey-goosey. But when we got to the final standoff, stay-at-home or working parent, well... Dan answered that. Uh, whatever you think is best, but I have a secret uh, disdain for people who stay at home. I guess it's not that secret, but I have it. I'll leave it at that and not answer the question. <laughs> oh, cop out. <laughs> then the emails. Oh, the emails. You guys oh, were pissed. Oh, the emails. <laughs> uh, you guys were pissed and understandably so. So let's read a few of them. Dan, you go first. All right. Here's an email from listener Meredith. Meredith wrote. 
I didn't write before because I didn't have much time, mostly because I'm busy caring for my three young children while my husband is deployed. But Dan's needling comment deserves a few more comments. I'll keep this short. One, mothers and fathers make all kinds of trade-offs whether they work or stay at home. Obviously, I can only assume any kind of disdain for the type of work a parent does stems from a stereotype about stay-at-home parents. Let's just say moms, because we all know that's what he means. Two, Using the word disdain in the context of discussing the mommy wars is semantically unfair, as if we all have these two clear choices on two sides of a battle. Clearly, life is more complicated. Three, I'm sure this point has been brought up a lot, but someone has to take care of the kids. Sometimes that someone is a parent. Does Dan also not so secretly disdain daycare and preschool workers? Probably not. Four, part of the reason stay-at-home parents and moms are more prone to depression than their working counterparts is a feeling of lack of value attached to their, okay, our, work and efforts. Taking care of kids all day is fucking hard. A lot of jobs are hard, but the workers get compensated in some way, usually with a paycheck, that represents explicit value for their work. Secretly, all stay-at-home moms fear all this effort and work is being overlooked, or worse, not so secretly disdained. So not only do we have a really, really hard job, we are treated as lesser. I can't imagine Dan feels the same way about other workers with jobs that pay little. Oh, and I do realize depression or the blues has many facets, including socioeconomic condition, community, genetics, etc., but my above point still holds. Anyway, thanks for listening. I do like the podcast and usually appreciate Dan's bluntness, even when I have a different opinion. But the way he tossed off this remark based on a naive stereotype tapped into a latent, wow, you just don't get it feeling. That's a good one. It was one of the nicer ones, I thought. Yeah, I mean... They were all people were angry, but but people also expressed themselves well. Yes. All right. I'm going to read one from Meg. My husband and I love listening to mom and dad are fighting. We are parents to a 16 month old boy and have our next baby girl due in February. I am currently a stay at home mom and was pretty offended by your admission. I secretly despise stay at home parents. Come on. Did you really have to go there? I would love to hear further explanation of this very broad statement generalizing your disdain for a diverse group of people who stay at home. You open the store, now finish the conversation. The decision to be a stay-at-home parent was not easy or necessarily the one I envisioned for myself when I was younger, but I have loved my 16 months at home with my son. I do get a lot of pushback for being a stay-at-home mom, and I always wonder why people have such strong opinions about what I choose to do with my life. My husband and I, as all parents do, considered many variables when deciding how to care for our children. When we analyzed our values, finances, support network, or lack of— and other quality-of-life variables, this was the best for our family. I did not feel forced into this role because of my gender, although I do feel more pressure to justify my decision because I am a woman. I do plan to go back to work after we are finished having babies and they are in school. I'm fully aware of what I lose being out of the workforce for so long, but believe me, that was considered when I quit my job. Why all the vitriol against stay-at-home parents? Lack of taxable income? Is our worth measured by our W-2? As a woman, am I single-handedly setting feminism back by embracing a traditionally female role? Do you feel like you can't relate to me because our lives seem so different? Or because I live my life one way, do you feel like I invalidate your lifestyle? More importantly, does all the emotions surrounding certain parenting decisions prevent us from feeling empathy for parents who choose differently? Or at least from pretending to for the benefit of your podcast subscribers? Thanks, Meg. That's a great email. In retrospect, I should have pretended to for the benefit of our podcast subscribers. But maybe not, because these emails were fascinating. They were, as you say, Allison, 
all extremely well-spoken. People put a lot of thought and passion into these emails. Universally, people were pissed at me. Far more pa- thought and passion than we did into that, like, two-second segment. Sure, yeah. yeah. Way more than it deserved. But I'm glad because I, I'm, I really want to have this discussion because that segment and the responses to it and then the thinking that I have been doing about it in the last month have really brought up a lot of interesting things, I think, about why this is such a divisive issue, why this is an issue that really cuts to the heart of not just the people who emailed to us, but me and I think you too. I think it's something that we both that we feel a little bit tortured about our own feelings about. And while still really holding these resentments close in a way that caused me to not apparently be unable to state them out loud on a podcast to thousands of people. So I think it's really worth digging into and I'm glad that we are. But before we get into our feelings, let's talk about the facts. We got a lot of questions about the actual realities of stay-at-home parents and whether my off-the-cuff comment reflected anything to do with what being a stay-at-home parent is actually like. So we wanted to talk to someone who actually has done the research. So here on the phone with us, we have Gretchen Livingston, who is a senior researcher at the Pew Research Center, and she's here to share results of Pew's recent analysis of government data on stay-at-home parents. Hello, Gretchen. Hey. So to start off with, when I say stay-at-home parent, do I really mean, as many emailers suggested I do, stay-at-home mom? Are most stay-at-home parents in America moms? What's the actual breakdown? Yeah, actually, I did an analysis of this not too long ago, and from what I can figure, there are about 10 million stay-at-home moms and 2 million stay-at-home dads. So, you know, something like 84% of all stay-at-home parents are indeed moms, but I think it's kind of interesting that the number's up to about 16% being dads these days. And those dads, one interesting thing about those numbers I found was that for the moms, the reasons why they are stay-at-home parents are sort of widely varied and split among different reasons. But for dads, quite a few of those dads are stay-at-home parents because of unemployment, right, or other or circumstance, financial circumstances not related to specifically wanting to stay home with those kids. Yes and No. Overall, right now, about 23% of dads, stay-at-home dads, say they're home due to joblessness, but actually 21% say they're at home to care for their family or home. So those numbers aren't actually that different. But to put it in perspective, among moms, something like three-fourths say they're at home specifically to care for home and family. So, you know, dads are much less likely to say they're home to care for home and family, but it's not a negligible number of dads who are saying that. So in the report that you released, um, you said for the first time in decades, there is actually an increase in stay-at-home parents as opposed to the decline that we've seen for many years. Are the, is the increase, can you say, is the increase due to people staying home because they're out of work? Well, we suspect it is. You know, what we find is that in 2000, at least among moms, about 1% of stay-at-home moms said they were home specifically because they couldn't find a job. And by 2012, that number was up to about 6%. So that five-point difference is actually a pretty big difference to us. So that does at least suggest that maybe some of what's going on with the uptick in stay-at-home moms relates to what's been going on with the economy. You know, even though the recession officially ended in 2009, there are obviously lots of long, you know, repercussions that are continuing even now. And we have one other piece of evidence that suggests it could be related to the recession. When we look at stay-at-home moms and the trends, the one group of moms who have not had an uptick in stay-at-home moms are those with a college degree or more. 
And that would kind of make sense if it was a recession story, because those would be moms who would be less affected by the recession. It's notable that we're not talking about, you know, that's the stereotype of wealthy moms lying around while their kids are at school. What are the actual economics of stay-at-home parenting? Do stay-at-home parents skew richer or poorer than the, than the general public? Yeah, that was actually really interesting because, you know, so much of what we see in the media is these kind of opt-out elite moms, you know, the Manhattan Park Slope moms who make their kids organic baby food and this type of thing. But when you actually look at the numbers, stay-at-home moms actually skew towards the other end overall. Actually, 34% of stay-at-home moms are living in poverty. And just to give you a reference point, among working moms, that number is 12%. So stay-at-home moms are more likely to be poor, obviously. They tend to be a little younger. They tend to be less educated. They're also less likely to be white. And what about married or single? Well, most of them are married, but that actually brings up something interesting. I think there's an idea that people sometimes have of stay-at-home moms as kind of the leave-it-to-beaver stay-at-home mom where, you know, mom is married and her husband is working full-time, presumably. And while, you know, the vast majority of stay-at-home moms do still fit in that category, a lot of them don't. A lot of stay-at-home moms are either single or they're cohabiting, not actually married, or some are married and their husband is not working. And again, you know, particularly with the recession, we know that that happened a lot. So if a mom is single and staying home, or a mom is married and her spouse is staying home as well, that is all because there's no work. I mean, we can't know for sure exactly the reason that they're home. We didn't go into that analysis, so I I can't say for sure on that. And also, that actually, I wanted to bring up something about those numbers I have about the reasons for staying home. You know, I think those are great data to get a really broad brush kind of picture of what's going on. And they're from a huge census survey, which just has so much information. But we've also done some other surveys here, looking at parents, working parents, and that type of thing. And, you know, on the one hand, we have a lot of stay-at-home moms who say they're home to care for work and family. But when we delve a little deeper, we find that actually only one-third of stay-at-home moms say that their preference is to be home full-time. So some, or really most, either want to be working full-time or part-time. So it's hard to figure out how much is no work available versus no work that gives me the flexibility to balance work and family is available. There's a lot of gray area in there. That's really interesting. There's, it seems like there's a real disparity between people's experience as they live it. If only one-third of, of stay-at-home moms don't wish they were also doing something else, but yet a, a majority of Americans do feel like kids are better off with a parent at home, right? Right. You know, that's changed a lot over time. You know, there's a lot more, I don't want to say sympathy, but people are a lot more accepting of working moms now. But it's still the case that most people think kids are better off if there's a parent at home with them. One of our surveys found that like 60% of people think kids are better off if there is a parent at home. And about 35% say the kids are actually just as well off if the parent is at home or if there's no parent at home. All right. This is totally fascinating. Thank you so much, Gretchen, for coming on to talk to us about this. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks, Gretchen. Now let's stop for a second for a word from our sponsor, Little Passports. 
Bring a travel adventure home each and every month with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. If you sign up for Little Passports, pen pals Sam and Sophia will send your child a monthly package in the mail, each highlighting a new global destination like Japan or Brazil. Follow the journey on our wall-sized world map and enjoy learning through letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more. Allison, I assume that your kids, like my kids, basically die when they get anything in the mail. They yes. like they go insane when something comes from them in the mail. So they really are into subscription-based things, whether it's magazines or a comic series that Lyra subscribes to. And so Little Passports seems like such a great idea. It's the perfect holiday gift for 5- to 10-year-olds. It inspires a lifelong interest in travel, language, and world cultures. They can put that map up on their wall and start to fill in the countries that they are learning about as they go along. And now, because you're a listener of Mom and Dad Are Fighting, you can save 40% on your first month just by using the promo code MOMANDDAD40. So that's M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D-4-0. You can learn more by going to www.littlepassports.com slash mom and dad. Okay, so now it's time to interrogate Dan for me to fess up about my own feelings and judgments and to talk more broadly about the tension between stay-at-home and working parents. Joining us for this segment is mom and dad are fighting listener and stay-at-home mother. Hello, Elise. Hi there. You're calling from home. What's going on there? Well, I live in Arlington, Virginia. I have three daughters who are 13, 11, and 8. My youngest daughter is home with the stomach flu, and I'm taking care of her. And very excited to talk to you about this topic. Okay, so when you heard Dan express his secret disdain, how did that hit you? Well, it's happened before, not just in Slate, but in other publications that I follow and really admire that I'm with you and with you and with you culturally. I'm sort of with you on so many topics, and then all of a sudden there's just this little gut punch that's like, oh, ha-ha, stay-at-home mom. What a bunch of idiots. I mean, it, it happens a lot. There's a sort of a sad element to it. There's a pity element to it. There's um, a privilege that's implied that's not always the case. Meaning the, meaning the I'm implying privilege to you. I'm suggesting yeah, that yeah, you... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and also the other thing that, that is heavily implied or just flat out stated is is choice. And that's something that I really wanted to talk about because some families like mine have a parent that earns a decent amount of money, a parent that has pretty low wage earning potential for various reasons and other extenuating circumstances. We have a child with tuberous sclerosis, which is a chronic illness that takes a lot of time and care and doctor's appointments. And it's, it's never not going to be the case. And, um, I mean, I never had a fabulous career to go back to, but even if I had, I would have had to take a step back because of my child's health. And because I'm networked with a lot of parents with chronically ill children, there are a lot of stay-at-home moms who did used to have careers who have had to walk away. And, um, you know, it kind of hurts your feelings when you're, you know, pushing your grocery cart with your iPod and listening to people who you respect and admire sort of make fun of you for, for not contributing, for, for being what? I don't know, lazy, for being boring. So you name it. Is that what you think, Dan? Well, it's, it, it's, it is amazing how I think that it's totally understandable that any stay-at-home mom who hears someone say they disdain them gets that out of it because there are so many cultural connotations wrapped up around that. And 
for the record, no, Elise, I don't think you're lazy. And my disdain is wrapped up in a lot of really complicated things, including real envy of parents who have the ability and the wherewithal and the the opportunity at times to be with their kids as much right. as they are. It's also wrapped up in resentment, as I'm sure it is in the other direction of the way that I feel like the, the parents who stay at home in some way in the lives of the kids in my community matter more, that they are the ones who have the final say, that the sort of that the schools and the community organizations and the churches are all sort of built around this notion of there always being a parent at home who can help out during the day or who can make important decisions. And that those of us who both work are looked down upon by the parents who, who don't work. And of course the parents who don't work feel they are looked down upon by us, the parents who do work. I mean, I think that tension is really what everybody's responding to. I don't think the actual, I don't think there's any real judgment on an individual basis. I have never been with some of my mommy colleagues at the school who have to rush off to a meeting and and had anything other than just like, you know, well wishes for them. I never judge people who work either by choice or by necessity. And I really don't think most people, like on an individual basis, judge me for not working. You know, it's more of a, a mommy, the mommy war thing is kind of a, fabrication it's kind of a it's kind of a thing that gets everybody all worked up but i'm not sure how real it is i mean in my community i live in south arlington my kids school i'm probably well in the minority stay-at-home parents probably i would say it's 10 percent, maybe and um a lot of the working parents do a lot of the heavy lifting on the pta so i'm in, in no way having more influence than that i mean it's just a matter of what people can put their time into. I mean, some people have local grandparents, aunts and uncles, things like that. I'm not from here. I don't have any family around. So I don't have a lot of extra support in that way. So, I, I mean, I think the idea of being envious makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of envious of my girlfriend. She's a record executive. She gets to meet bands all the time. But, I mean, I don't want her life any more than she wants mine, even though she's kind of envious that I get to go to all my kids' field trips, you know? Do you think stay-at-home moms are judged in a different way than stay-at-home dads? I think stay-at-home dads are rare enough that there's sort of a curiosity. I have two good friends from college who are stay-at-home dads, and both of them have, I want to say both their wives are attorneys, but there's a kind of a sense that there's a little bit of a hero in the stay-at-home dads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And I think other men probably, maybe think they're a little less than, but I think women think they're dreamy, you know? Yep. But that's just a guess. I mean, my, you know, my husband works a lot, and our friends that are stay-at-home dads, I don't remember him ever saying, you know, what a free ride that dude is getting, you know? No, but I definitely think that's true, that it's, that there's like, a, there's definitely a gender component to it, and, and that's part of the judgment. And I mean, I think that the, the, the sort of economic piece is really interesting. You know, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. Obviously, you know, I'm doing fine if we have a one-income household. But it's, it's not for nothing. We don't, you know, we don't buy new cars. We don't go on expensive vacations. The last time I bought a pair of shoes was five years ago. That's not hyperbole. I mean, so there are a lot of things that people do that I wouldn't call sacrifices, but just realities of having a single-income family that 
I don't know if you need to, to discuss, but maybe acknowledge that there are the trade-offs are, are many, you know? Yeah, well, one of the, I mean, one of the aspects of the lightning round, obviously, was that it was meant to be a gloss on those things. But it's notable that uh, of all the things we discussed, the only one where I felt some need, apparently, to uh, to actually judge people who disagreed with me was mm-hmm. it was not breast or bottle feeding. It was not sugar cereal. It was not anything. It was stay-at-home parents versus working parents. And it both my like apparent need to do that and uh the response we got from it suggests that it's a, it is a somewhat raw issue for people that you may not judge people on an individual basis but that people still feel judged that my statement came from feeling judged whether i actually am or not that the mm-hmm. responses of the responses overwhelmingly came from people who clearly sort of felt like i had unveiled the secret feelings that all uh, working parents have for stay-at-home parents, and that and they had sure. suspected had suspected all along, right? You know? That they right. sort of had, yeah, no one wants that. to and, say. And well, also, it was it, it was all the more plain because it was the only thing that you said I have an opinion on. You know, I bet you secretly have an opinion about breastfeeding, but you're not going to alienate people by saying it. You know, I think you probably secretly have an opinion about sugar cereal, uh, but you were perfectly willing to be laid back about those things, right? But then when it came to this one topic, it's like, you know, put on the brakes. I have to, I just have to stick it in there. Um, Everyone who's really thinking about it wishes it were different. My friend from Germany had a state-sponsored daycare where she brought her baby on the back of her bicycle every morning, went to her job at Pete Marwick, and then picked him up at 5 o'clock and had a a lovely life, you know? Yeah. And it's not, that was not in the cards for us. I, you know... I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy. I, I don't have a lot of earning potential. And um, it, it just would never have worked for me to put my three children in daycare, especially my special needs child. Yeah. We just simply couldn't afford it. Do you think um, kids are better off with, with a parent, not mom necessarily, at home? I think it depends on the parent. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. I think... I think my kids were better off with me because it all has worked out so far. I think it would have been a disaster if my mom, my mom worked full time. I think if she had stayed home with us, she would have lost her mind and probably killed us. So I, I think not because she wasn't a wonderful mother, but because she was a, not a baby and kid person. You know what I mean? I mean, she loved us, but <laughs> it was fine to have someone else watching us for a large part of the day. So I, I just think it depends on, if the two adults in your life are not ones to sit on the floor and play Legos, that maybe having another adult that wants to do that is better when you're very small. I don't know. That's not much of an answer, is it? No, that's an answer. What do you think, Dan? Uh, I think that all children who have a parent who would not be driven insane by staying at home are probably slightly better off having that parent stay at home. That's that's my guess. That said, which has, which has its merits, right? Well, and so and there's there's like two levels of it, right? There's the zero through five, where staying at home is a much more labor intensive and specifically yeah. time intensive thing, right? Because you are on the floor with those kids all the time, and you are solely yeah. responsible for those kids. 100% of the time. Then there's the school right. years, which yeah. is what I think a lot of people are reflexively responding to when they think about stay-at-home parents, not the zero through five years. But in those years, staying at home 
I think affects a family's life in a positive way because it does make things simpler. It makes the the home a probably a more a less insane place. It makes the day to day living of life and making a home and making a family easier. It allows you to be more involved in the lives of your children and in the civic life of your community and in the life of your school in a way that working parents can't always do. And those are real benefits too, real tangible benefits that that are that exist. So then why does why isn't that the way your family works? Because I would be driven insane if I stayed at home with my kids all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I really like my job. I think part of the reason I have, you know, some not so positive feelings about stay at home parents is because I actually do think it's better for a kid to have one parent stay home in most situations. And so I feel like digging in <laughs> somehow to justify my decision. And did your mom stay home? My mom, yeah. I mean, she worked part-time as I got older, but she stayed home and she volunteered, something that, like, you know, this, like, great thing for the community that I'll never do. I have insecurity about that. I feel, I have, you know, I feel, yeah, I have insecurities about sort of not being a good enough mom because I'm not around. When you say, like, you know, about your own mother, she was a great mom, but she was a great mom, but it kills me to think that, that my kids might say that. Um, And I have insecurities about or like I feel badly about like not contributing to society in any way other than like, you know, going to work. I think I do something that I I feel proud of. But, yeah, it's like a very, very like sort of small world that I that I have made for myself in a way. Well, I I have insecurities about showing my three daughters, you know, that I'm still the number one woman in their life and they they don't have a clue what I do all day. My youngest daughter thinks that we were talking about what is a hobby, and she was talking about, you know, daddy likes to make beer, daddy likes to go running, uh, mommy likes to do laundry. Oh, God. And we all laughed and laughed and laughed, and then I was like, oh, God, you know? <laughs> she thinks that's my hobby. <laughs> so I, I worry about, about their sort of career aspirations because of me. It is really amazing listening just to both of you and and listening to myself as I've been thinking about this, how... This specific issue really does pluck it. Like, I think some some very core insecurities that I think almost all parents share of, are we giving enough? Did we make the ultimate right choice for our kids? How will our kids view us when they are older? Will they think of us as a great mom but or as a great mom? I mean, these are like really deep-seated issues. And it seems Absolutely. to me that it's a charged issue because – to a great to a great extent because of these insecurities and because of how deep they go. Every single parent that that I know is terrified that they're not doing it right. So it would be great for example if I didn't just on the air claim that you're not doing it right. <laughs> like that would be helpful that is what help. you're saying. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, Elise, thanks. This is really great to chat with you. We really yes, appreciate thank you so much, you Elise. doing this at the last minute. I I'm I'm totally excited. You have no idea. Uh, you made my day. I'm I'm can't wait to call my husband and tell him that I'm doing something to start the laundry. Uh, I really hope your child has not been barfing this whole time. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> great. That is a great mom butt. All right. Bye. 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 All right. So... Once again, to all of our listeners who wrote in, to all of our listeners who didn't write in but still had strong feelings, we're really glad that you're listeners. We're really glad that you felt inspired by the show or angry at the show or enraged by the show. And those of you who told us about it, we're really grateful that you did. Please write us again and tell us whether you felt like 
we make sense in the, on this issue, whether you're still pissed off at me, our email address is momanddad at slate.com, M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D at slate.com. Let us know, stay-at-home parents, do you actually have a tiny secret disdain for, I guess, other working parents besides me? I know about your disdain for me. Um, but we really do want to hear from you, and we really are grateful to our listeners for being so smart and so engaged and so willing to fight with us because fighting is what mom and dad are fighting is all about. So let's go on to recommendations. Allison, you got a good one? I do. Quick, Dan, what's the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia series? Uh, it's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Wrong. Ah! The Magician's Nephew. Oh, right. Sorry. Did you know that? Uh, I think I knew at some point that there, that actually that wasn't the first book. So it was published sixth out of seven, but it's now sold as the first in the series based on chronological order of the action and the stories. We decided to start this series. I went to buy The Lion, Loach, and the Wardrobe at the bookstore, but then I saw it had a two on it, so I thought, uh-oh, I better buy one. I brought it home, and John was like, well, what have you done? You totally screwed up. This is not going to happen. I don't know you what this everything. book is. I've never heard of this book. This is not a legitimate book. But then he looked it up, and he was like, oh, I didn't know about this. So we started reading it, and it's good. I mean, that's all. I recommend it. It's good. We will move on to two for sure. But at least for Harry, it's been really great. It's a bit much for Sam, who can't really follow the story and told us this week after one night of reading before bed that he was, quote, so, so tired from all the bookness. <laughs> uh, that is a good recommendation because we definitely just gave Lyra the line, the witch in the wardrobe and said, have at it. So She's going to be so confused. She's she is. No we, just, we, we basically ruined her childhood. <laughs> uh, all right. So I have a good recommendation too. It is also a book, but this is a book for grownups, not for everyone. It is a great memoir by a stay-at-home mom. It is by Shirley Jackson. It is called Life Among the Savages. You know Shirley Jackson best, Allison and listeners, uh, as the author of the classic creepy short story, The Lottery, you know, where all the townspeople get together and you don't know why they're getting together. And then one of them draws a charcoal dot on a piece of paper and then she is stoned to death. But in Life Among the Savages, which was published in 1953, um, Jackson unveils a sort of whole other side of her. It's it's the story of her years as a mom of four in a big ramshackle house in rural Vermont. And she was a stay-at-home mom, and her husband went off to work all the time. And it is such a good book. It is so sweet and also tart. And it is really, really wise about parenting. And it is I think what I liked best about it is that it is very affectionate towards her children, but she is clearly not in any way indulgent towards them. And that, I think, helps a little bit of the slightly 1950s gender sensibility go down more easily. But it's really funny and really charming. And I read it last week while I was on vacation, and I loved every word and highly recommend it to everyone. That sounds great. Did she write during those years? Yes. In fact, she was sort of a stay-at-home mom who didn't work in sort of a stay-at-home mom who I think wrote at nights. And then she was publishing little bits and pieces of the book throughout the late 40s as her kids were growing up. And then the book itself was published in 53. Which is probably more what actual stay-at-home moms are like. I mean, not, right. you know, award-winning writers necessarily, but like the stereotype of, as we've said multiple times today, of the bomb on eating stay-at-home mom is, you know, not right. really. Real. They are doing a lot of things besides just eating bonbons. Right. <laughs> Okay, and that's our show. Please email us at slate.com with your thoughts about today's shows, parenting tips, and suggestions for future topics. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and please call us with your questions. We didn't have a listener call this week because we just had a lot of things going on, but we still really want to hear from you. Call us at 424-255-7833. 
That's 424-255-RUDE, which Dan will never be again. Never again. <laughs> Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman, to the managing editor of Slate Podcast, Joel Meyer, and to Andy Bowers, executive producer of all Slate Podcasts. Thanks to Gretchen Livingston and Elise. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Allison. And thank you all for listening. 